Hello, this is FTW with Ahmad Khan, part of the .esports podcast network. I'm Ahmad Khan of Tom's Guide. Activision Blizzard, the company behind Overwatch, Call of Duty, World of Warcraft, and many other beloved franchises, has been mired in controversy this past year. The California Department of Fair Employment and Housing sued the company back in July following a two-year investigation finding employee abuse and harassment within the company. The lawsuit has expanded to include contractors. The DFEH has also accused the company of interfering with the investigation by placing NDAs on its workers, requiring employees to speak to the company before contacting the DFEH, and by shredding documents. In a statement to Axios, Activision Blizzard denied shredding evidence and said that it had been complying with the investigation. Activision Blizzard then cancelled its BlizzCon convention, delayed Overwatch 2 and Diablo 4, with an SEC filing suggesting the titles could land in 2023. In the same SEC filing, Activision Blizzard said, quote, If we do not continue to attract, retain, and motivate skilled personnel, we will be unable to effectively conduct our business. End quote. Activision Blizzard stock saw a 12.7% plunge after the delay announcements, posting its worst day in 13 years. A Twitter account that goes by A Better ABK, a workers' alliance for Activision Blizzard and King Digital Entertainment, asked contractors and QA testers what their experience has been with the company. Complaints included low pay, long hours, brutal overtime, no benefits, and a general feeling of exclusion. Since the head of human resources, Jesse Meschuk, and Blizzard's co-lead, Jen O'Neill, have both left the company, J. Allen Brack, the then-Blizzard president, stepped down after the DFEH lawsuit. Accusations were made against him of doing too little to stymie harassment after complaints were made directly to him. Both Mike Ibarra and O'Neill stepped in to co-lead the company. Now Ibarra will be running Blizzard solo. Joining me today to talk about the latest Activision Blizzard developments, as well as analyze the past year and beyond, is The Washington Post's Shannon Lau. Shannon, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. So Shannon, in August, you published a report speaking to 17 current and former Blizzard employees. Uh, Tell us about what you learned. Back in August, uh, I went around asking current and former employees, you know, why there was this lawsuit from California State and you know what were the kind of conditions at Activision Blizzard leading up to this lawsuit and afterwards. Um, and I learned that there was just this pervasive drinking culture, which is detailed in the lawsuit as well. Um, but there were uh, a couple of changes made to the company um, in like 2018 where they started to realize that, oh, there's just been so much drinking that there should be a limit on how many drinks people can have at company events. Mm -hmm. And uh, there were all these employees telling me about their experiences being sexually harassed or discriminated against um, or, you know, reporting uh, people who are doing the harassing and then never hearing back from HR or realizing that, you know, HR had passed on the complaint to the person who was accused. And then people around them were treating the employee who made the complaint uh, strangely or weirdly. And they were, you know, being alienated from the rest of the team. So in a lot of these cases, uh, reporting a person for harassment was not helping anything and actually made things worse for, for those people. Um, so those are the kinds of things that I, I got from, from the 17 people. And, and since then, I've been talking to even more employees. Hmm. You know, in your report, you mentioned that uh, female employees would kind of get together and have these almost like group therapy sessions in which they would talk about everything that had been happening to them. And even then, it felt that there was little that could be done. So, I mean, was was this kind of the only outlet that many employees had? Right. Uh, yeah. So actually, back then, I, I do believe that Activision Blizzard didn't have didn't establish a hotline yet. And even mm. even the hotline that they have now, I think employees are still uh, skeptical about you know 
using the, that as a tool because they don't know um, where it leads and who gets that information in the end, even though obviously it, they, the company has said that that's confidential. Um, but yeah, back then, like 2015, um, I think that's that's the anecdote you're referring to. People, uh, women would you know talk to each other in in uh, an office space, maybe like find a open uh, room and then close the door and then and go inside and talk about you know what they had been going through and realizing that not just one of them had been sexually harassed or had derogatory comments made of them. Um, actually, most of them or, or pretty much everybody had a story like that. You know, has there been a come to Jesus moment for Activision Blizzard executives? I mean, has, or because it seems that the company has been rather defiant in light of the lawsuit. Um, right. After the lawsuit, uh, there's also been scrutiny from the SEC, which uh, started an investigation, the EOC, the um, Equal Employment uh, Opportunity Commission has also, uh, you know, tried to settle with Activision Blizzard. Um, and Activision Blizzard was going to maybe pay them eighteen million dollars uh, uh, for for a fund, but that's also under dispute now. So there's just a lot of uh, different government organizations looking at Activision Blizzard, and a lot of top leadership have left the company, um, and there's a lot of turnover of other employees, uh, which has made it hard for for games like Overwatch Two and Diablo Four to continue development on the, the schedule that they initially were on. Um, so all of that's going on, and, and the company will continuously release these like statements saying we're, we're changing this, we're doing this, but uh, to employees, that is not enough. And fundamentally, there are still uh, parts of the company or you know leadership that, that are still in place that, that employees have a problem with. Um, but I do think that there's just a gradual amount of, of changes that you're seeing from the company. And I think in the recent earnings call, uh, the CEO, Bobby Kotick, actually said that uh, like he thinks that the company is changing, but the media coverage continues to be negative. Hmm. I mean, well, as a member of the media, do you feel that negative coverage is justified? Well, yeah, we only report out, you know, what we're seeing and hearing and, and what's happening in the company. We obviously don't, you know, manufacture any of this uh, or, or try to give Activision Blizzard negative press on purpose. So everything that we've written and I've written, you know, a, a, over five articles on this so far, mm-hmm. uh, which doesn't seem like a lot, but it's we we have a slower cadence at the Washington Post, so it is quite a lot for for this one company for this one story, and um, yeah, every time there's a new beat in the story, it's because wow, there's another filing, uh, there's another uh, like legal change, uh, or you know, Activision Blizzard has just lost like in the most recent story I did. Uh, they lost their female co-lead, Jen O'Neill, like you mentioned in the intro. Uh, Jen O'Neill was only at the company for th- just three months. Um, you know, she was one day away from her three-month anniversary. So that was also huge news. Um, and obviously, I didn't. That I think deserves to be written, um, and isn't us trying to make negative press about Activision Blizzard on purpose. Do you have any indication as to why uh, Jen O'Neill left the company? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so Jen O'Neill wrote a letter that's like public um, to employees and and to the public, uh, saying that it's not that she is uh, she thinks that Activision Blizzard is a hopeless situation. Like she does have hope for Blizzard, um, but people reading that letter, like the employees I spoke to. Um, you know, they were dubious of, of that claim because if you have hope for Blizzard, then why would you leave? 
Um, and, and the same goes for, uh, there's another sentence uh, in Jen O'Neill's letter where she said that, you know, she wants to enact broader changes across the video games industry, but she's not, she's not sure what that opportunity looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was also uh, struck people as strange because, you know, she has a bigger vision, but, but there is no like next job she's jumping into that she can announce. Um, and it seemed like she could have tried to make broader changes in the gaming industry from her position at Blizzard had she chosen to stay. Um, and then, you know, beyond that, people don't really know. I, I've been asking around. This is something I'm working on right now. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one person on Twitter who anonymously wrote that they heard, you know, this unsubstantiated claim that Mike Ybarra is very hard to work with, and maybe that's why. Um, but but again, that, that has no... Um, that is not something that we can print right now in, a, in an article because that's not something that we've verified at all, but just somebody on Twitter saying something. Mm-hmm. You know, when it comes to game development, it requires obviously people who are very skilled at crafting code, but are also very artistically gifted. So it does take a very special type of developer to uh, be brought in to make the, make these types of titles. And it does seem that Activision Blizzard is not only having a retention problem, but might be having a hiring problem. I mean, from your reporting, are you, is, is Activision Blizzard kind of poison at the moment? Do people just want to avoid it? Um, yeah, that's a, that's also a good question. So Activision Blizzard employees, um, that I've spoken to, some of them are in the process of leaving others who are still working there, you know, are thinking about leaving and, and, and some people have seen, you know, all their coworkers, or not all their coworkers, but but a significant uh, portion of people depart. Um, there are people here and there who say that they love their team and everyone is great and they just lucked out with a good manager. So it's not that everybody had a very negative experience at this company. There are some people who um, seem like they would stay uh, for years, maybe. Um, but at the same time, there is that like loss of talent as people are leaving and jumping ship to other companies. Um, and I've also heard from people working at those other companies that, you know, when they look at somebody with Activision Blizzard on their resume, uh, uh, there's more suspicion and there's more of, you know, people are wondering, so what did this person see and how complicit were they in that culture? Um, so there is this dark cloud hanging over Activision Blizzard, um, but it's not to say that there aren't people still working there and other people willing to be hired to go work there. It's just is more of a challenge uh, for the talent pool and then for the game development process too. You know, the the thing that was actually very difficult to read were some of these Twitter comments posted uh, in reply to the A Better ABK Twitter account. And it was, it was coming from contractors and QA testers. And it echoed a lot of the same things that uh, came from, I believe, a report by Jason Schreier when he was at Kotaku about being a QA tester for the Call of Duty series. Have you been able to talk to any QA testers or contractors and what their experience has been like with Activision Blizzard? Yeah, actually. Uh, so I don't know if, if you're aware of this or maybe people, people are aware, but in the summertime, you know, right after that August feature I published, so a couple of weeks later, um, ABK workers actually reached out to a lot of media outlets uh, mm-hmm. saying that they had a lot of QA testers willing to talk to media. Uh, back then, I didn't have I think I was like just going on vacation and then running uh, different to different events and didn't actually get the chance to sit down and talk to them but I've been circling back to talk to them now and I, I believe they talked to you know folks at polygon for instance and shared their stories back then um, and and yeah this is like an ongoing conversation I think the QA testers in particular have seen really 
you know, dire work conditions. And just like at other video game companies, uh, the ones at Activision Blizzard often, you know, can only get work for three months and then uh, Activision Blizzard will switch them off and um, try not to, uh, you know, keep them working because otherwise they would have to have them as full-time employees, not just contractors. Um, so that's something where the QA tester might have some work for for a few months and then they have to maybe go work at a grocery store or, or find a retail job to pay the bills. And also, you know, speaking of bills, their pay is so low and it it is not, uh, it's it's hard to live off of for, for these workers. Um, yeah, so that's that's definitely something that I am looking to, to report out more in the future. And I think that, yeah, the QA testers is definitely like one area to keep looking at because they have some of the worst work conditions in the entire company. Yeah, it definitely seems like an exploitation of those who are trying to break into creative fields where you you have to essentially do this really horrid grind of just working and working for low for low pay and no benefits for the hopes of actually getting hired within the company. Uh, do you have any indication of what percentage of people can actually jump from, let's say, a contractor contract QA tester to actually being within the company? Yeah, that that's a tough question. It depends on the person, right? It depends on who they know and. Uh, you know, how are they moving forward in the company? How much do people like them? And, and how much are they pushing for promotion? And just like, do the stars align for them? And maybe they can get a promotion if, if a job opening opens up for them and if people like them. Um, in a lot of cases, uh, people work for years as QA testers and don't get a promotion, don't get a raise. Um, and this is like a $13 an hour job, for instance. Um, mm-hmm. And even if they live in a major city and it's hard to, to afford that. Um, yeah, so it, it's tough, and I, I think it also doesn't help that there's like a stigma around QA, or that they that the other departments don't really consider them. Uh, or you know, I, I think some of them do consider them, but like there is this like old uh, old school stigma of like looking at QA as like, oh, you're just playing video games and and testing out bugs, but like you're not a designer, you're not an engineer, and then if the other departments look down on them, it's like harder for for these people to to move up in the company. No, that's really unfortunate because, you know, some of the best games have come from former QA testers. Uh, All of this, a plunge in stock prices, a poor company culture, an exodus by employees, uh, months of bad news. Uh, If I'm not surprised that like the board hasn't, or we aren't hearing stories for the board, like pushing for the ousting of CEO Bobby Kotick. Have you heard any kind of um, revolt against him? Yeah, that is interesting. So, you know, um, the former president of Blizzard, J. Allen Brack, was named in the lawsuit, and then he stepped down and he was replaced by Yabara and O'Neill. But mm-hmm. Kodak has been around uh, for decades and he, he continues to be CEO. Um, it is, I do think that there are, you know, a number of very vocal shareholders who are looking to challenge um, management at. Activision Blizzard, whether that means actually ousting Kodak, I don't think it's gone that far yet. Um, but it's definitely worth monitoring and and continue to see because yeah, Kodak is at the top of all of this, and it's worth asking you know how much did he know and and what has his role been over the past few decades. But again, that's like something that we have to like see unfold and continuously report out. Um, it is really hard to say at this moment, but I don't think that there's any like public ousting of Kodak as far as you can see right now. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if you report 
specifically on like the Overwatch League or Call of Duty Leagues, for example, but at least in the case of Overwatch, when we spoke to your colleague, Teddy Aminabar, um, there definitely is, you know, a lot of staleness uh, occurring with the current Overwatch League meta. And there was, uh, I would say, a lot of anticipation for an Overwatch too. And it's, it's hard to imagine how a 2022 season will look like if, you know, viewership is plunged dramatically and there isn't a new game to kind of reinvigorate it. And of course, there are the tens of millions of dollars that uh, companies have invested into this league that just seems to be sputtering out of control. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so what, with regards to reporting out Overwatch League and Call of Duty League, I definitely let my colleagues, like Teddy Amenabar, and also you know even my editor, Mike Hume, uh, cover those more more in depth because those are leagues that they've been following for years. Um, mm-hmm. I did do some reporting here and there about them, so it's not that I don't can't speak to that. I can tell you that um, you know as as we know, esports is usually not profitable. Uh, we right. learned that from you know Epic v Apple uh, when Epic filed. I, I think I believe in one of the documents it says that uh, you know for for Epic. Um, I think this is a this is actually an Apple filing of, a, of an epic document, but it says that uh, you know the Fortnite World Cup in 2019 did not uh, give a good return on investment as expected. It perfor- underperformed, hmm. and the same goes for you know Riot talking to Teddy recently, um, telling him that League of Legends esports is still not profitable. But that's not really the point. It's to right. drive hype so people can play the game and spend money in the game. Um, so with regards to Overwatch League and Call of Duty League, those two leagues you know, are huge uh, money sucks. Uh, uh, I have to put it that way. I mean, <laughs> so so like as, as, as Overwatch 2 gets delayed um, and you know, as all of this negative press swirls around Activision Blizzard, those two leagues are going to continue to, you know, drain money from from the company and i think i i've heard this before from some sources that Kodak really likes esports and really likes overwatch league so he'd like to see those ventures continue mm-hmm. um so maybe it wouldn't really matter to him if uh you know it, it still continues to not make too much money for the for the company as a whole yeah you know i i, I do want to ask have you had a chance to play call of duty vanguard yet I did get to try the beta uh, for a bit, uh, but but the person reviewing the game is not me. <laughs> you know, I was really surprised that usually every year when a new Call of Duty launches, there's a bit of hype on Twitter, there are people talking about the game, there are articles coming out. It seemed really quiet this year. Uh, do you think, I mean, does that have anything to do with what's happening within the company internally, or do you think that uh, fans are just not really feeling this game or are kind of getting tired of the Call of Duty franchise? That that's a great question. Um, I would be uh, skeptical of anybody who says that okay, Call of Duty is is now canceled and it's over. I think people are still playing it. Um, mm-hmm. It also depends on who you follow on Twitter and what you look at because you can get sucked in these like little bubbles on social media where you only see people who also are doubtful of Call of Duty and then no, <laughs> nobody talks about it. Um, I remember last year with like Black Ops, Code War, I didn't really hear too much around that game after it came out. I think a lot of those Call of Duty fans are so focused on Warzone and, and enjoy playing that game already. Um, uh, with regards to Vanguard, when I was playing it, I wasn't super blown away, but I think it's a solid entry into um, a, a solid addition to the franchise. Um, and then the people I was playing with, I think they were all they happen to all speak Russian, and they okay. were they were really enjoying it uh, too. So I yeah, so I think um, there will be some fans, right? It's just like when 
Um, all of this blew up with Activision Blizzard. We saw that World of Warcraft was getting boycotted by by several players and content creators, and that also seemed to pass. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know what the current monthly users are like for that game anymore, but it seems like some people are still playing it. Yeah, yeah, you know, just browsing over on Twitch right now. I mean, Call of Duty Vanguard is, you know, one of the top games with 142,000 viewers right now, but it's, I guess, sister game Warzone currently has 47,000. And of course, like, just chatting, Val- uh, Grand Theft Auto Five uh, are just pulling in crazy, crazy numbers right now. So I don't know, It's it'll be interesting to see, um, I guess, where Call of Duty goes with the with the following year. Go with that, Shannon. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me again, Ahmad. It was, it was a pleasure. And that was FTW with Ahmad Khan, part of the .esports podcast network. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and share. For full transcripts of the show, head on over to ftwahmad.com. To follow Shannon and her work at the Washington Post, follow her at Shannon underscore Lau on Twitter. Her last name is spelled L-I-A-O. To follow me and my work over at Tom's Guide, you can find me at Imad on Twitter. This episode was produced by Henrique Demore and Jacob Wolf. The show's executive producer is Kevin Morris. Our research assistant is Sam Higgins. And with that, we'll catch you guys next week.